Open your Bibles to Matthew 12, if you would. I did want to ask David uh, Kesselring, so if I want to mail my tithe to heaven, what's the address? No? 777 Golden Gate. Some of you will probably try that because you know it's going to get returned. So. Get your money back. Get your money back on that tithe. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. So last week I began to talk about the Sabbath. I'm not going to do a long series, but I want to try to wrap up my thoughts today. Uh, on that subject in light of my recent Sabbath. And last week, just a, a quick review, we talked about the relationship of the Christian to the law, because when you read the Old Testament law, the Sabbath is right there in the fourth commandment. It says, six days you shall work, the seventh day you will rest. Um, and as I shared last week, many there's been much controversy about that particular commandment in the church, whether that, that commandment is still binding, etc., etc., etc. I believe that that controversy has, has ruined the concept and the value and the benefit of the Sabbath, uh, unfortunately. And in many ways, uh, modern-day Sabbatarians, those who uh, say that the Sabbath must be obeyed, uh, do so in a way which is actually similar to the way the Pharisees observed the Sabbath, which, was, which means they made it a day of burden, a day of burden. And and we have to remember something when we read the Gospels. Jesus is combating perversions of the Old Testament. He's not combating the Old Testament. When he he critiques the Pharisees, the prime example is the Sermon on the Mount. You you have heard it said to the ancients or to the elders. He's not critiquing the Old Covenant. He's critiquing the Jewish glosses and the Pharisaic misinterpretations of the law. And to where they took a, a, a religion which was uh, full of uh, blessing and grace and mercy and love and turned it into a religion of legalism and bondage. Okay? So we have to keep that in mind as we, as we read because we, I, I, I realize that it's easy to fall into a trap of reading the Old Testament in light of the Pharisees. In other words, allowing their perspective to actually influence us in how we see the Old Covenant. Jesus' battle with them was often over, uh, usually over their misuse of God's law. So they took a good thing and in the name of religion made it a bad thing. How common is that? Right? How common is that? That's good old human nature for you. God gives you a good thing, you turn it into a bad thing. So God gave the Sabbath. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
meaning it's for man's benefit. Well, what's the benefit? The first benefit we mentioned was that it was designed for rest. And we talked about rest in two senses, uh, uh, physical physical rest, where, where an individual ceases from their normal, what we call secular labor, labor, uh, you know, their typical job or employment. But then there's mental, emotional, and you might even say spiritual rest. This is harder for we Americans. This is much harder. Um, typically, this is an average American. How you doing? You don't mind if I do this term or sermon, do you? Do you? I, I can multitask. Do you mind? Well, then you don't do it either. How's that? Oh, I'm reading my Bible. No, you're not. You're looking at Facebook. I'm old, but I ain't dumb. Bring a Bible, read your Bible. But that's what we do. We multitask. So we can watch TV, look at our computer, look at our phone, look at our iPad. Sometimes I have all four of them on. It's true. So that's, is that rest? Probably not. And so my point is, is that, is that the Lord gave us a day um, where he commands us to rest. And I think the whole concept of the Sabbath is actually kind of funny. I mean, it's really weird to me. God has to tell us to play. Huh? Don't you want to play every day? Yeah. He, but he has to command us to do it because we get driven by other things and don't do the thing that we need. Now, there's another simple principle about the law that I want to remind you of, and it's this. It's very important as you contemplate uh, the law. It's this. is that God always commands to our weakness. Now, if... We naturally did something all the time. God wouldn't say do it because we just would do it naturally. God doesn't tell me to eat. It could have been in one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt eat three meals a day. He could have put that in there, but he didn't, right? He commands to our weakness, which is to say, if we have a tendency to go this way in our fallenness, he commands so that we go this way. All right? So... We have a, a disposition not to rest, at least not in the biblical sense of the word. I'm not saying there aren't people that are lazy or apathetic. That's not what biblical rest means. But my point is, is that we, we have a day that God has said, on this day you don't have to do secular work. You don't have to worry about your job. You don't have to do this, this, because on this day you can rest. And that sounds simple, but it's very hard for many people. And I think it gets harder and harder and harder in this society because of our technology. Okay? There, it, by the way, it is not a sin to turn your phone off. <laughs> Did you know that? It's not a sin to not check your email every 30 minutes. That command is not in the Bible. And yet I know people, they can't turn their phone off. They cannot do it. Okay, I can do it. I had to learn to do it to survive. Unfortunately, your boss knows you have a cell phone, and sometimes they supply it, and that's a trap. (laughs) Because then they expect you to answer it at all times. So you get a text at 11 o'clock at night. It happens. 
Turn your phone off. On the Lord's Day, you can rest and not feel guilty. You can, you can not do that work email and not feel guilty. And I could give many examples, but you get the point, right? In order to rest, we have to um, be able to rest mentally and emotionally, not just physically. But the second benefit of the Sabbath is worship, is worship. Now, worship is used, the word worship is used in, in many ways. And when you read about worship, you have to be careful of what the author is really saying when they use that word. Because the word can be used in a very narrow sense, a broader sense, and then a very broad sense. And let me explain what I mean. The narrow sense of worship for some people, when they hear the word worship, they think of singing songs, singing hymns, singing psalms. That's worship. So that's a narrow definition. For other people, worship might include singing the word and the sacraments. A church service would be considered a worship service, not just the first 30 minutes. And then other people think of worship including that, but then also being expanded to other acts of mercy and acts of ministry. So if after church today we decided to go downtown and and feed the homeless, that would be an act of worship, right? Which it is. So when we talk about worship, we're talking about really uh, the, the broader and really the broadest type of, of worship. God set aside at least one day, and in, in a moment I'll talk a little bit more about the other days he set aside, but at least one day when we would not only rest physically and set aside our secular concerns, but, but, which is beneficial in itself, but then in addition to that, because we're not thinking about this, now we can think about this. Okay? Now that I don't have to think about work today, now I can think about sports. <laughs> now that I don't have to work, think about work today, now I can think about my hobbies. Well, not exactly. Okay? Now, I'm not saying sports on Sunday is a sin. That's the, that's the road that's a trap. Because that will lead to, to endless and fruitless debates about what is lawful, what is not lawful. The point is, is that this day is set aside. Uh, one of its main goals and benefits is worship. So, last night, for example, I was thinking about bills I have to pay. I, I, I just had to fund this wedding, broke the bank. <laughs> And I appreciate everybody's help, and all the money it was saved still broke my bank. Okay. So I'm, and I thought, well, tomorrow I need to look, sit down and look at, now wait a minute, tomorrow is the Lord's Day. I'm not going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to wait till Monday. I'm going to do it Monday. But here's the thing. You don't just empty your mind of secular things, and then nothing rushes into the vacuum. You get what I'm saying? So the point is, you can set aside various concerns so that you can focus on other things. Well, what are we supposed to be focusing on? The Lord. The Lord in the narrowest sense of gathering together and worshiping, in the narrow sense of singing praise, prayer, 
hearing his voice through his word, but then in the broader sense of, of serving him. This is a day for service and ministry to people. So this is why in the traditional literature on the Sabbath, you will see uh, that when theologians talk about what is permissible on the Sabbath, they talk about works of mercy. And this, Jesus uses this example over and over in the Gospels where he says, okay, if your donkey falls in a ditch, aren't you going to pull it out on the Sabbath? Well, of course, because it's a, it's, it's a work of mercy. But, but it's work, so aren't you violating the, the, the Sabbath? Well, yes, but no. So there's a letter and there's a spirit of the law, right? So mercy is always lawful. It's always lawful. You don't need a law to permit you to be merciful and kind to people. So if you're driving home and someone's car's broken down, you say, well, it's a Sabbath, I can't work. Drive by them. That, well, that's what the Pharisees did. Well, of course you can, you can help. Of course you can, you can serve. Of course you can feed the hungry. Of course you can do all kinds of things on the Lord's Day that are works of mercy and works of love and compassion. So that's worship in the broader sense. But then there are also what are called works of necessity. Works of necessity. And this is where uh, the whole Sabbatarian debate has, got, has gotten tangled in all these knots. I mean, some things you have to do every day, whether it's the Lord's Day or not. You've got to go to the bathroom. So you flush that toilet and that water goes somewhere. Goes to a water plant. People are working at the water plant to take care of your stuff. <laughs> so did you violate the Sabbath because you made them work? Well, that, that's the kind of debates that Sabbatarians get into. Okay, well, some things you have to do, and they have to be done for not just your well-being, but for the well-being of man, okay? Many of the things in our society couldn't function if they, if they literally had to be shut down on Sunday because the systems have to run at all times, and those systems have to be managed. Um, I don't think that that's a violation of the Sabbath. To, to say that's a violation and to say that, therefore, we have to create human misery to observe the Sabbath is to do the opposite. That's what the Pharisees did. It's the opposite. They're saying man was made for the Sabbath. Though Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. So if your application of the principle hurts people, then you're misapplying the principle. Okay? The whole idea of, of, of the Sabbath is to benefit people. It's to remove burdens and lift burdens, not to place burdens on people. So, um, God gave us a day when we can rest from what's called secular employment, but he's told us that we should set aside this time to focus on him, to worship him. And this worship, as I said, is, is narrow and broad. It includes all, it includes the word, the word, uh, I mean, praise, the word, sacrament, service, all of this is part of our worship to God. And w when we talk about worship in a narrower sense, it includes our public worship of the Lord, but it also includes private worship. Now, we have, we have div uh, created this thing in evangelicalism called the quiet time. 
Okay? Um, it's a great concept if you can get it to work. Um, I personally never found a quiet time in the sense of, you know, 20 minutes in the morning sufficient. That was never sufficient. for It never really worked for me, okay? Um, and a lot of people try different things. They try, okay, I'm going to get up a little early in the morning and do 20 or 30 minutes, <clears throat> excuse me, in the morning. Uh, then they, they find out there's just, you know, not really awake in the morning, so it's not beneficial. They say, okay, I'm going to try it at night. Then at night they're too tired and that doesn't work either. So what happens is most Christians don't read their Bible very much. And most Christians don't have much of a prayer life. In other words, they don't have a devo- there's not a devotional depth in a typical Christian's life. Now, you might be the exception, and I hope you are. But um, the, and, and I'm not saying this to be judgmental of anybody. I'm not judging anybody. But there, the, it, that's the truth, okay? And, and any, any study and survey done on the church for the past, since I've been saved, which is 40 years, has all said the same thing, okay? Most Christians don't read their Bible very much. Most Christians don't have much of a prayer life, okay? I'm not saying they never pray or they never read the Bible. But, okay, well, what's the problem? Well, you can say the problem's the heart. I get that. But part of the problem is, is that the, the people that think about this kind of thing and write books on this thing lament the fact that the world has invaded the church. And it has in many ways. So, but there's a simple remedy in the Bible, and it's called the Sabbath, I mean, God already told us what to do. Give, give me 10% of your money and, se- and one-seventh of your time. It's not complicated. Okay? It, it, if you would, would learn to set aside a portion of the Lord's day for prayer, meditation, and study. And when I say a portion, I don't mean 30 minutes. I mean two or three hours, maybe four hours you would be astounded at what would happen to you. I'm telling you. Because, I, I, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, and maybe I'm the oddest person on the planet. But let me tell you my, my story. I know some of you already think that. But. Okay. The, the, the fact of the matter is, when I try to enter into God's presence in my private devotional time, I don't just open my Bible and God appears like a genie. Now, sometimes I open my Bible, and the first thing I read is like, boom, okay? But when you're talking about the, you know, you know in evangelicalism, how many times have we heard this thing? Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship, right? Everybody hears it over and over, and everybody says it, but not that many people really practice it. Because if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, you have to spend time with them, okay? So, you know, compare it to your marriage, you see your wife 10 minutes in the morning and you talk to her five minutes a night and that's all you do? Not a very profound relationship. Okay? So, it's the same way with the Lord. I mean, if you want to know Jesus, you have to spend time with Jesus. This isn't complicated. It's common sense. So, um, and, and, and what I find is when I try to pray and get in the Word, I have to spend the first 30 minutes, at least, maybe more, just getting all the junk out of my head. 
I can't even begin to get focused if I don't do that. So how is 15 minutes a day really going to do the job? Well, it doesn't do the job. And so we see the fruit of that in all the statistics about how messed up the church is. Okay? I mean, the transforming power of Jesus is real. Okay? Uh, somebody prayed earlier, maybe, I don't know, somebody prayed, about, Jesus, help us understand you're real. Well, he is real. Okay? But that doesn't mean that because he's real, we just like get zapped and we don't do anything. I mean, it doesn't work that way. You don't love somebody you don't know. And, you know, we, we sing these songs about loving Jesus, but, you know, if you don't know him, you're not going to love him. It's, it's not, I mean, this is really, comp, this is common sense. So it takes time to get to know him. And so God has is, is given us a day so that we can do that and set aside other things and really spend time uh, in his word and in prayer and in meditation and in private worship and, and, the, and we can get to know him. Now, I understand life is busy and life is full. Now, here's the thing about the Sabbath. The, in order to really try to do something significant with the Lord's Day, it, you have to work backwards. I may have said this last, last week. You have to work backwards from that day. Okay, just like I was planning on paying bills today and realized, no, I shouldn't do that today. You have to plan backwards. So if you're going to spend four hours on the Lord's Day in prayer, meditation, family worship, whatever you do, well, that's, that's four hours that you're going to have to work back into your week and do other things so that they don't crowd into that time. Get what I'm saying? So you have to plan the day. You have to plan not to do things. What that means is if you need to do those things, you, you plan them some other time. And don't plan them at this time. Now, I'm not saying any of this in a spirit of legalism. You hearing me? That's not where, where I'm coming from, and I don't think, think that, that's not where this is going. It's not what this is about. This is about understanding that God gave us a, a blessing here that we're not taking advantage of. And so, you know, I mean, if you can do 10 minutes in the morning and have a vibrant, life-transforming knowledge of Jesus, then God bless you. <laughs> do that. I can't. And I haven't seen it really work with most people. If you want, uh, if you want to know Jesus Christ and, and, and experience his reality in your life, you have to take time. Okay? You have to set aside other things. You have to be able to turn off your phone. You, know, you can't have your quiet time, and then every two minutes check your Facebook. It doesn't work that way. Okay? Jesus is not a genie. He's going to pop up every time you say, Jesus. No, really. It, it, I mean, sometimes I think we act like it. It's not like that. Okay? That's why when you read the Psalms, many of the Psalms say, wait on the Lord. Uh, David, he says, I waited for the Lord as the, the watchman waits for the sun or the morning. Well, how long is that? No, really, how long is that? Twelve hours? It's a long time. So whatever was going on with David, he, he needed, he needed uh, to, to, to have a, a real conversation with the Lord, and it took him that long for that to happen. 
That's what he's saying. So, you know, the Lord Jesus is risen indeed, amen? And he is alive. And as David said, he is present. But him being present doesn't mean I feel his presence. Him being present with me doesn't mean I'm present with him. They're different. So we come in, he's present with his church, but we come into his presence. Okay? And so one of the the problems that we we deal with in, in corporate worship is people come to church unprepared to do that. And they think, okay, well, you know, Maybe by the end of the, the 20 or 30 minutes of worship we do, I'll enter in. Rather than having spent evening, sometimes Saturday evening, in prayer and meditation or Sunday morning, and prepared your heart, and maybe even when you walk in, you can really say, I'm in communion with Christ. I know it's a revolutionary idea. No, I'm, just, I'm, 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 I'm being dead serious. <clears throat> but the... The, the point of corporate worship isn't to supply what's lacking in your private worship. That's not what, it, what it's for. You don't hear a sermon because you neglect your Bible all week. You don't come to church and have people hear people sing and pray because you never sing and pray in private. That, that's not what it's, it's supposed to be. We are coming together to join together all of our private devotion in a public act, a public united act of devotion. Okay? So if, if you're in a worship service, a church service, and people are slouching in their chairs and looking at their phones and doing all this stuff, it's, it says a lot about their private devotion. And so in evangelicalism, we don't want to admit that. So what we do is we demand that the church entertains us. And they provide enough entertainment to keep us stimulated and focused on the show. You see? And that becomes a substitute for true worship of heart and soul and spirit. And, I mean, Tozer warned of this back in the 50s about how entertainment was encroaching on worship in the church, and he's right. Um, and so, you know, we, 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 the church wants to build a, a bigger thing, a bigger stage, a bigger, more screens, more stimulus, more boom, 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 and people can... This is so cool. Do you feel God... Well, they're feeling the bass go through their veins. Is what they're <laughs> and they're calling it God, okay? That's all they're really feeling. It's the lighting and the bass is blowing their body out of the water. Okay? So, here, now, I'm not against loud worship. I love loud worship, actually. But the point is, is you know, the stimulation from sound and light and, and in various traditions, candles and incense and all of this external stimulation isn't worship. And they may be aids to worship, but they actually could be hindrances to worship. Because for me, sometimes my most profound times of worship are when I'm silent before God. 
But he's there, and he's, he's like, he's changing me on the inside. We are really fellowshipping, and I'm not saying a word. Now, other times, you know, it's really loud. Because there isn't just one, it's not just one thing. So, uh, I'm, I'm kind of rambling, I apologize. Uh, so, point being, the Lord set aside a day so that we could focus on him. And how you as an individual or as a family do that will may differ from another family. But I just want to tell you this. Jesus Christ is real. He is risen from the dead. And we say that's true. And, and I would encourage you to learn to know the risen Jesus. He gave you a day to do that. And I know you have kids and you have responsibilities. Will you say to your husband, husband, I love you, but I love Jesus more. And I'm going to take two hours this day to spend before Jesus. And when I'm done, I'll watch the kids and you can go spend two hours with Jesus. You can make, this is all, this is very doable. I'm not laying a burden on you. I'm, I'm offering you an opportunity. And what's striking about this text, by the way, I meant to point it out last week, but I didn't, is in chapter 12 of Matthew where Jesus, the Sabbath issue comes up, notice what precedes it. Verse 28 of chapter 11. No, 27. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And then Matthew gives us this account of the Sabbath, clearly, intentionally, to show us the contrast between the Pharisees' Sabbath, which was a burden, and the the Sabbath of Jesus, which was rest. Come to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Come to me. I'm going to give you rest. Well, coming to him means coming to him. Now, you can come and talk to your pastor about things. You can come to church. You can come and talk to your friends. But at some point, you come to him. And coming to Jesus isn't like something you do where like, okay, I came to Jesus on January 2nd, 1999. And then you don't come to him anymore. Learn of me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. This means coming to Jesus and, and learning to know him. I mean, do you ever wonder why Christians do crazy things and say idiotic things? It happens all the time. I read headlines and I'm like, what a bad witness. You know? It's because people have a Jesus religion without Jesus. They're taking things that Jesus said or Paul said and they're turning it into something that really resembles what the Pharisees did. Where they took God's good covenant in the old covenant and turned it into a bad thing. I mean, there's a lot of hate in the name of Jesus. Do you know that? A lot of meanness, a lot of prejudice, I mean, a lot of bad stuff in the name of Jesus. Man, it's like, let Jesus 
give you what his heart really is. What he cares about, what he's really like. And that doesn't happen from a very cursory, shallow reading of the Bible 15 minutes a day. Now, I'm not saying don't do a quiet time, but my point is you have got to set aside time to get to know Christ, to be in his word, to be in private prayer, to wait on him, to learn to walk with God. Okay, walk with God. Tozer's well-known quote, we have as much of God as we want. And I think he's right. The last point, and I'm trying to wrap up real quick. Uh, the Sabbath is for celebration. Um, when you look at the Old Testament, there were um, seven annual feasts. And there were three pilgrim feasts where, where three times a year the people had... Or, It was the males over a certain age, not that the women were excluded, but the males were required to come to the temple for these annual feasts. And then there were additional feasts, in addition to the weekly Sabbath, they had other feasts, the new moon and other things. I mean, when you go back and look at the way Jewish society was structured back then, it's like these people knew how to party. No, I'm serious. And that's what I mean. When you, when you think of the old comedy in light of the Pharisees, in light of reading the Gospels, you get a distorted picture. You've got to go back and read the Old Testament. I mean, all, 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 it's amazing. Now, some of these feasts were designed for repentance. There's no question. Okay? That's a good thing, too. There's such a thing as a solemn assembly. There's such a thing as coming together to repent, to weep, and lament. That's biblical. Okay? Um, so I'm not talking about the thing that we try to do today where we try to pump people up to have this kind of superficial joy. Um, but, but clearly, God set aside times so that his people would remember. And as they remember, then they would rejoice. Remember, then rejoice. So the the Sabbath was set aside to remember that God was the creator. Then then the Lord says to remember that you were delivered or redeemed. So we remember those things on the Sabbath, but we also remember something else because we actually change the day from Saturday to Sunday. And some people don't even call Sunday the Sabbath. They call it the Lord's Day. And Saturday is technically, technically the Sabbath. I get that. But see, we're remembering the resurrection. Right? So, as we remember, we have so much to be thankful for. So much. Um, and so, but again, you know, if, we're, if our secular concerns dominate our thinking at all times, then the, the, the wonderful truths of God's redemption and creation and, and Jesus' resurrection, those things get pushed from our mind. And so we tend to forget, even though we know, but we do forget. And in forgetting, then, we cease to praise and be thankful and to celebrate. Now, so, so God set aside the Lord's Day, as well as many other days in the Old Testament, for days of rejoicing, days of celebration. And part of this was feasting. They had a festival. 
a festival. You know what a party is? Anybody know what a party is? Yeah. They party. Okay. So, so I think believe that those who understand this, the Lord's Day, and the, the, again, the Pharisees made it a, ugh, you can't do anything, you can't have fun. When the point of the Sabbath was, have fun, have fun. Celebrate. Rejoice. We sang this song and we said, God loves me. We probably sang that phrase a hundred times. Holy cow, is that really true? God loves you? Is that really true? Then why do you say it like, I'm dead. I'm doomed. Ah. <laughs> I mean, really. So, we celebrate the Lord, we celebrate the truths uh, that he's revealed to us, but we celebrate church, we celebrate family, we celebrate friends, we celebrate. Sunday is a day for having parties. No, I'm serious. And so, and, and I especially want to say a word about family life, okay? Family life. Because uh, the Lord's Day is a wonderful day. I mean, in our society... Many families hardly ever have dinner anymore, okay? And as kids get older, it gets harder and harder to, to get everybody together with their schedules. They got work or they got a class. Okay? Um, well, besides how that affects relationships, you can't have a celebration, okay? And, and my wife and I, from when our children were little, always tried to make dinner a time of celebration, a happy time. So uh, it wasn't always a happy time. But we tried. Okay? We tried. Um, but especially on, on the Lord's Day, we want, we want that day to be special. Okay? So, so you want to celebrate. You want to have a, a special dinner on a Sunday. You want to have, maybe you have special, or maybe it'll just be your family. Maybe you have some friends over. But, but this is a special day. And you learn to rejoice in all the good things that God has given you. Okay? And you have to learn to do this. Um, but as it relates to our family life, uh, the statistics aren't good. A lot of evangelical kids are walking away from the faith. It's not, it's not looking good. Well, why is that? Well, you talk about sociological effects, you can talk about social media, you can talk about a lot of things. But I just want to mention one thing that's relevant to this. And that is that if the parents don't uh, celebrate their relationship with Christ and, and celebrate what God has done, celebrate the new covenant, the kids won't either. And what I mean by that is, is that in many Christian homes, kids grow up and it's all about law. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. No, 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 no. And, and so kids grow up and, and their impression, although it's false, of Christianity is a frowning face, a furrowed brow. Thou shalt not. That sums it up. And so they're like, yuck. I mean, if that's the Christianity I rejected when I was a kid. 
And then when I got saved, I realized that was not the God of the Bible. But you parents, you're the image of God in your home. And if you're always negative and you're always critical and you know, if you're always frowning and you don't have joy and you never sing or you never pray and you never, well, your kids say, hmm, okay, I get it. Whatever that is, I don't want it. Because I want to be happy. They can say, well, that's shallow and immature. Fine, call it what you will. Make judgments. Fine, that's what got you into this problem. No, I'm serious. No, I'm serious. That, that's why some, I mean, kids, kids grew up in Christian homes and they just feel judged all the time. It's terrible. Now, I, I, you know, I'm not like a latitudinarian when it comes to, to child growing. I, I, I'm pretty conservative and pretty strict. Yeah, I, I'm not perfect. My kids aren't perfect. But my point is, is that I don't, my kids don't hate God. And I know, I can give you a list of names of kids. Some of them used to go to this very church who hate God. They hate him, and they hate him in public, and they profess their hatred of God. And it's not because of the church. The home shapes the soul more than the church ever will. If only the church could do what the home does, but it can't. Your home has an environment. Your home has an aroma, is what Wilson called it, an aroma. And, and it's a spiritual aroma. I remember somebody came to my home, and we had, had this family over that hung out, and when, when they left, the guy said to me, you know, I could feel the purity in your home. Like, that's cool. Some homes you go in, and it just feels heavy. It feels dark. And I don't mean lighting dark. I mean, it's dark. There's no joy. There's not peace. It's it's toxic. Well, the Sabbath is designed to give us this opportunity to create this, this sacred space and time in our homes for love and celebration and peace and joy and all of these wonderful things. So do it, man. It's a benefit. It's not a burden. It's a benefit. And you know, your kids might say, well, wait a minute, I want, to, I want to play my game and I don't want to sit with the family. Okay, you know what? I get, I get all that. I understand that. And sometimes you just say to your kid, no. You're going to do this. But then your kids, your kids will eventually learn to appreciate and benefit, and benefit the value. I read a thing by Moody. I'm really rambling. Uh, but he was talking about the Sabbath. He said, when I was a kid, he said, and Dion Moody, if you don't know him, was like one of the greatest evangelists of all time. I mean, he was literally on the battlefield during the Civil War, leading people to Christ as they died. I mean, the real deal, okay? He said, he said when I was a kid, my mom, my, my mom made me go to church, and she made me listen to the sermons instead of going off to class, you know? I don't even know if they had class then. And he's like, I really didn't like it. I just didn't like it, didn't like it. And he said, but now I'm, it's one of the things I am the most grateful for. And so, you know, some things your children may not like at first, especially if you're changing things up, but they will, over time they'll learn to appreciate it. I've had guys tell me, you know, I try to have family devotions, but it always ends up with somebody crying. <laughs> And so, like, I tried. I'm done. It's over. 
Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta learn to celebrate. You gotta learn to celebrate. In Nehemiah 8, it says, uh, there's an account of the reading of the law to the people. This is that the people come back. And the city was really pretty, pretty much still in ruins. And it was, it was a heavy time, a grievous time for the people of God. Okay? And they, and they got the law out. They read the law all day long. I mean, the law meaning the old covenant, not just the law's laws. And it says that the people wept. They just wept. And then it says that the leaders got up and said, don't weep today. Today's a holy day. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, there are times for weeping. Trust me. I've wept a lot recently for different things. You can't look at our society. You can't look at the evangelical church and not weep. If you don't, you don't have a heart. But that's not to be our perpetual state. Because to stay there is to fall into despair. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And that joy comes from the rest and the worship that he gives us in the Sabbath. Okay? Rest, worship, and celebration, they all go together. You can't have one without the other. They all go together. I don't want a church where we come together and the worship leader feels like they're going to turn it up louder and louder every week because people don't express joy. As one author said, some people come to church and sing to get joy. Other people come and sing because they have joy. Okay? You can have joy. You can have the joy of Christ in your life. And not only can you, if you have young children in your home, I implore you, you better get the joy of the Lord in your life. Hey, am I speaking the truth or not? Hannah, you grew up in a Christian home. You saw all the crap that goes on in, in churches. Okay. okay I'll, I, mean, I mean, look, if, 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 if your Christian home is a, is a legalism, the odds are your kids will either become a Pharisee or become an atheist. But they won't be a Christian. And if that's what you want, okay. But I don't think that's what you want. Nobody really wants that. So, you know, the joy of the Lord, and I don't mean a superficial joy, I mean a real joy from knowing him because you are spending time with him and you're reading and meditating and learning. That will affect your, the atmosphere of your home and it affects your children. It's got to be real to you. It's got to be real. If it's going to be real to them. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you that you gave us uh, a day that we could set aside to rest, to worship, to celebrate. And Lord, if we actually take the time to think and ponder and meditate, Lord, a full day isn't enough time to acknowledge all of your many benefits to us. The 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 profound mercy that you have shown us in saving us from what we really deserve. Your profound generosity to us, this church, this American middle-class church, the wealth, the freedom, 
the multitude of material, political, social blessings that we have. Lord, a day isn't enough time to enumerate it all. You've truly crowned us with your mercies in an unbelievable way. I pray, Lord, for all of us to learn to not be legalistic about the Sabbath, but to to enter into the benefit of it, to spend time resting, to spend time remembering, to spend time reflecting, to spend time in prayer, in worship, in devotion, in relationship, to spend time celebrating not only you, but our family members, our friends, and the goodness of the Lord. We thank you, God. You are so good. We bless you. We pray in your name. Amen.